Welcome to Eternity Now. I'm Senior Pastor and Evangelist Kyle Huckins. We're a U.S.-based church and evangelism movement reaching every color and culture for Christ. Our podcasts, videos, doctrine, history, and much more are on our website, www.eternitynow.com, E-T-E-R-N-I-T-Y-N-O-W.com. This broadcast is made possible by your tax-deductible giving. A gift of $25 a month gets the gospel to 10000 in a year, just three cents a soul. Go to EternityNow.com and click Support Us for more. Thanks for listening. Now for one of my recent messages. If you belong to Christian forums on social media or have very many believing friends, you have probably heard the term the rapture at least a few times this year. It is going to be the most jolting event in Earth's history since the Great Flood. In the twinkling of an eye, every born-again Christian is going to be taken up to heaven in a resurrected body that is never going to grow old, get sick, die. And I also have some new research on this great event to share with you, and it's going to be an encouragement to those who are in Christ. My message today is the rapture, a moment, any second. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 to 5.10 and some other passages as well. Well, Father God, thank you so much for gathering us together here as well as online. We pray for your blessing to go out by your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord God, we pray that you look us closer to you, no matter where we are. If in you, deeper. Uh, if close to you, into you. And Lord God, if far, hopefully, to be friendly to the idea of God Almighty. We thank you, Lord, for this time. Use me as your instrument. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, there have been rumors and false information about the rapture just about since the Apostle Paul came out with this in 1 Thessalonians. By the time of 2 Thessalonians, he already had to explain and correct some of the problems that were there. <laughs> Today, we're going to understand why we have a rapture and also get some idea of its timing, too. Now, first, we're going to go to Matthew 24, which is the best known version of the Olivet Discourse. This was Jesus's reply to his disciples' question in verse 3, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Christ then gives several specific conditions. Number one, many will claim falsely to be him. Around the world right now, we have 14 people who claim to be Jesus Christ reincarnated and have significant followings as well. Number two is to have wars and rumors of wars. We have 40 armed conflicts all around the world. We have only 200 countries, so that's about 40% of the globe right there. And the Ukraine-Russia war is spiraling to include more countries, even though it seemed like that was going to be just a regional conflict. We have China threatening Taiwan, North Korea ready to bomb South Korea, and Iran is always working on a nuclear weapon to get, you know who, Israel and the Jewish people. Number three, racial conflict is going to be extreme. And we've had a reignition of racial tensions in this country, mainly by false premises, by the misrepresentations of media, uh, the hype of some even making hate crimes to have them staged when the folks they believe are the haters aren't hating enough. So they become the haters. <laughs> and then famines. This is a very interesting one. Number four is famines. The Lancet, which is a very influential British medical journal, in 2015 said that there would be no more famines because they had the crop technology and other kinds of safeguards in place. Well, five years later, before we had COVID-19, 
we had five major famines worldwide at the same time. And none of those was because of climate conditions or crops uh, becoming infected with some kind of disease. It was mainly because of religious strife that Muslims would attack Christians, occasionally be Buddhists, and get all the crops taken away or burn them to ashes. Today, of course, we have these supply chain issues, which probably are fueled by corporate greed, and then also by those who would be the workers being too lazy to want to work. So we have famines around the world as well. Number five, pestilences. Interesting. Not only coronavirus, of course, has been in the news the last two years. Monkeypox has now come up. And we even have the bubonic plague becoming a significant problem. It's been reported on three out of the six mostly habitated continents. And of course, this was what wiped out a third of Europe back in the 1300s. Number six is earthquakes. Over the last generation, a 60% rise in earthquakes of 6.0 or higher on the Richter scale. There has been a 33% increase last year, and this year is holding up with that significant increase as well, those of 6.0 on the Richter scale or higher. Number seven is Christians persecuted and martyred. The Open Doors annually publishes a list of the 50 worst violators nationally of religious rights around the world. This past year, for the first time ever, 2021, they had more than 50 countries in their highest category of religious persecution, 54, and had 45 the year before. Number eight, many offended and hate one another. Well, the, the haters and the offended are in the headlines. And as I mentioned, sometimes the ones who are called the haters are not hating. It's the one who calls them that, who is actually the hater, and things get confusing when the devil gets involved. <laughs> Number nine is that the false prophets deceive many. We got the prosperity gospel. God wants you to have a Rolls Royce. Also, Arianism, that Jesus was a nice prophet, but he wasn't really God. Uh, antinomianism, that's a big term that means it doesn't matter how you behave, uh, that Christians can be just like the world. It doesn't really matter. Well, <laughs> that's called pretty in the blood of Christ, which is uh, Hebrews 10 at the end of that chapter. Also, the Judaizers are back. There are a lot of people I've seen online, especially social media, that say, well, we worship Yeshua. He's a wonderful Messiah. But you see, you still got to keep the law. Jesus came that the law could pass away, being fulfilled, and we'd be liberated from law-keeping, and we could then live by grace. And we actually come closer to fulfilling the law by grace and the Holy Spirit of God is than we ever did by trying to keep every single little jot and tittle of the law. So the Lord God, he said, Jesus swore that, so let's not make his contribution null and void in our lives. Number 10 is lawlessness. So bad, too, that the love of many will grow cold. The word for love, there's agape, which is the perfect kind of love of God. This also probably links up with something we'll mention in a moment, which is the great falling away. Uh, this is something that is a condition for the judgment of the earth coming up in the tribulation with Antichrist. Well. That has many people who were once with Jesus Christ leaving him, leaving the essential doctrines of Christianity. So they once were with God. Now they've fallen away. It's apostasy. And that is the actual word in Greek, apostasia, that is used. We also, though, have government that will necessarily obey its own laws. And so we have a special kind of lawlessness going, criminals not being punished. And we know that that eventually is going to result in anarchy. And then finally, here's a curious one, is number 11 is the gospel is going to be preached in all the world. Now, a lot of missions agencies will say, well, we only have this number of people groups that have a 
church that's led by local people. Well, that's not the condition that's mentioned. It simply says that it's going to be preached in all the world and then shall the end come. Well, really, now, today, we can say that that's fulfilled because uh, sound waves, video waves, crisscross every square inch of the world today and bring the good news to everyone. There's only a minuscule percentage, I believe under 2% of languages in the world that have none of the Bible in their particular dialect. So for all intents and purposes, the entire world has heard the gospel, of course, <laughs> only a minority have actually embraced the gospel. There's approximately 2 billion Christians in the world out of 8 billion, so around one out of four. So we see all these signs being fulfilled. And this is what the Lord said is not to try to predict the hour, day, date, time. I've gone back and forth with people online for that as well. But he said you would know the season. So don't listen to people who say, hey, it's going to be September 3rd of 2022 uh, that we're going to have the rapture or whatever. That's not going to be it. In fact, I'm sure that the Lord would make would have it that they would get the false date. So that they couldn't possibly come to pass since they were violating what Jesus Christ himself said. But now that we see that, we can think about the Lord's coming for his church. He is going to be doing this not by membership role. Certainly there are church members who are saved, but there are many, of course, who are not former members who are. They have to worship him in spirit and in truth. Those who are going to be taken up in this rapture. First Thessalonians 4, 15 to 18 describes what's going to happen. This we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So Paul says in the beginning of this, verse 15, that just because we live until Christ takes up his church, doesn't mean we're going to be the first ones who are resurrected to be able to meet Jesus. In the next verse 16, he says, Jesus will come down from heaven. Now, the verb there in Greek can mean either touching down on earth or simply going from a higher place to a lower place. So it's not necessarily actually that second coming in which the Lord will permanently be here to rule and reign. A shout or a trumpet blast are going to accompany him, and that was the common greeting for royalty, saying that he or she, the king or queen, was in that house. And of course, Christ is the ultimate royalty, the king of kings and the lord of lords. Those faithful to Christ in the grave are going to literally stand up first, is what this says in Greek, like a number did in Jerusalem after the crucifixion of Christ. That's in Matthew 27, verses 51 to 54. And then verse 17 says, both the dead in Christ and we who remain alive are going to be going up together to meet our Lord in the air and will never part from him after him. This is what we call the rapture. Greek for caught up in that particular verse, uh, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord, is harpazo. And that in Latin is rapturo. That is where the term rapture comes. It means to be seized by force suddenly without warning, taken by an open display of force. The same word is used in Acts 839 
to describe how Philip the Evangelist was taken from deep in the desert with the Ethiopian eunuch in a moment in time to Azotus, which was 30 miles away. <laughs> also, it's used for Paul's trip up to the third heaven in 2 Corinthians 12, 2. Remember, he heard sounds that it's not lawful for a man to utter all that being caught up to the third heaven, which is where God reigns. In their cosmology, they would say that what we see is the sky where the clouds come in. That's the first heaven. The second heaven is outer space. The third heaven is where God dwells. So we're going to see Christ coming in the first heaven, is what is said here. That is the Greek uh, air, almost like our air, uh, as opposed to that second heaven or third. It is very possible that this is going to be visible from earth. <laughs> Although the same Greek uh, air is also used for where the devil's forces roam. That's in Ephesians 2.2, 2, when it refers to the prince of the power of the air. Of course, that is the devil. So we know that some people will never die physically, yet they're going to be assumed into heaven. Now, is that scriptural? Well, yes, it is. There are several examples of it. Enoch was found not, Genesis 5.24 says. But we see in Hebrews 11.5, it's because he pleased God. The Greek word there in Hebrews is different, though, than harpazo. It is metatithemi, or translated, likely meaning an unseen taking of him to be with God. Now, Elijah also was taken up, right? The Hebrew there literally means to ascend, not too exciting. But we know from 2 Kings 2.12 that it was visible because his aide, Elisha, was looking for him and saw him as he went up. And Elijah has said, if you see me when I go up, you'll receive your prayer that you asked me for is to have a double portion of my spirit. And do you know that literally in the Bible, Elisha did twice as many miracles as Elijah did. God is a God of precision as well as of feeling and emotion. A similar word to what the Hebrew was for Elijah is used for Jesus' ascension, meaning to raise. But we know from Acts 1-9 that the apostles observed him. It says, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. <clears throat> Sounds like he's going to call us to the clouds in much the same manner again. And so I put it to you that contrary to a lot of teachings about the rapture today, it is uh, rather likely that we are going to be seen leaving earth. Think about this. This is one of the purposes of the rapture, I believe is to give the people of earth generally, and of course specifically the Jews, but all the people of the earth, a chance to be able to accept Christ before going to hell. Now, it's specifically for the Jews, the last week of years, to make up for their disobedience to God from Daniel 9. But it's really the last three and a half years focused on Jesus. Gentiles will have the entire seven-year period to come to Christ. So it's really his grace, and if you see people, disappearing from all over Scott's Bluff or South America or wherever, flying up into the air, never to come down again. And you see, you know, Jesus received them with a moment of glory and gone. That's going to be a pretty powerful testimony to you, isn't it? So I would not doubt that it will actually be a visible event. However, there are those who believe the rapture comes at the end of the seven-year tribulation. And this is a time such as the world has never seen, Jesus says himself the worst seven years ever. 
and the week of years of Daniel 9. These folks say that Jesus calling us upward to meet him in the air is one and the same with the second coming. Remember, uh, as in Matthew 25, Jesus will separate the sheep and the goats at his appearing. He will actually be live and in person, uh, probably more real even than I am now, and will separate sheep and goats, the goats going to hell, and then the sheep getting their resurrected bodies to rule and reign in the millennial kingdom. But if the post-tribulation rapture folks are right, then they're going to have to explain what happens with Revelation 19.14. That says the armies of heaven with the people mounted on horses will come down galloping to earth for the battle of Armageddon. That's at the very same time the post-tribulation rapture people say that we are just being uh, called up into the air as we're alive and remaining to beat the Lord. And the people who are in the graves are just sitting up after their rest and being resurrected. You can't be in two places at one time. You're not going to be able to get on that horse and then be galloping right after you woke it up from your sleep. There's other problems with the post-tribulation rapture view. You can pretty much borrow the ones I'm about to mention for the mid-tribulation view to be able to go there. But that's a major one right off the bat. Now, other people believe the rapture is in the middle of the tribulation, about three and a half years in. This mainly comes from 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 to 4. That says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him, we ask you not to be sin-shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. I love that little phrase at the end, showing himself that he is God. Only in his mind is he actually God. And there's only been one, and there's only one God that ever will be, and his name is Yahweh, Jehovah, if you like to style it that way from the Hebrew. As I mentioned, the falling away before any of the judgment happens is this apostasy. I could think we could see that that is happening now. Uh, we have even evangelical churches losing up to 50% of their attendance from what it was two years ago. There was a lessening, a decline in people coming before coronavirus, but that really aided and abetted us. It went from a little pebble going down a hill to a big boulder. <laughs> it's happening now. Uh, in fact, a major Baptist church I know from Amarillo, where I spent many years, that used to run several hundred people, was down to a couple of dozen. And a huge, beautiful building on one of the major streets in town, just as a little anecdote as well. Now, the revealing of the man of sin, Antichrist, which is talked about here, you know, exalting himself as God, is dated to that three-and-a-half-year mark out of seven by two events. There's the stopping of sacrifice and offering at the main Jewish temple in Jerusalem, which has yet to be built, but will very shortly. There are preparations that are being made right now. And in fact, doing this has been talked about in the Knesset, which is the Israeli parliament or equivalent of our Congress. The Antichrist will stop those sacrifices of birds and sheep and goats and all the other things that were in the Mosaic law. Halfway in, it says, in the middle of the week, according to Daniel 9.27. And then Revelation 13.5 says that Antichrist is given authority to rule earth 
with his horrible iron uh, iron hand and mark for 42 months. That's three and a half years. Three times 12 plus six. So you have three and a half years there. Allowing Antichrist to be revealed also is 2 Thessalonians 2, 7. That says, he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way to reveal Antichrist. There's almost unanimous agreement that is the Holy Spirit. All right, well, those believing in the mid-tribulation rapture says that's going to be revealed by all the Christians going to heaven and taking the Holy Spirit with them. In all likelihood, what will happen at that point is that the Holy Spirit will come upon people, as he did in the Old Testament. And of course, the Holy Spirit can draw anyone individually. It doesn't necessarily need other people. But certainly, it becomes a lot more difficult when you don't have any organized church around, right? And if you uh, see it being so bad right now, when the church is still around 2 billion strong, think of what it's going to be when that number goes to zero. That's going to be really amazing, and thank God we're going to be up there. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, now, there is a problem for this view, however, and it comes from the reason the Thessalonians were concerned. And I discovered this as I was looking at that entire passage in Greek. In verse 1, Paul talks of Jesus' return and the rapture together, likely because they are going to be visible events to people at this same time, apparently, or in that same neighborhood of time. Uh, gathering together is the same Greek word as in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 and talking directly about the rapture. However, Paul here in 2 Thessalonians 2 does not go into depth about the rapture or about the second coming itself. Instead, he discusses the day of Christ, which is almost always the day of the Lord, but in this case, it's specifically Christ. And that means the period of judgment at the end of days, as in the tribulation, not necessarily just the judgment or just the rapture and separating the sheep from the goats. You see, we know that the Thessalonians were under severe persecution from Rome at this particular time. They were not worried that they had missed the rapture. This was not commonly known to folks at that particular time. What they were concerned about, and it's very apparent as you look at the Greek and really consider what the day of Christ is, that they were worried that this was the judgment that was going to be visited on them of God, you know, because they were losing their lives and all this. Are we subject to wrath? Is this happening? Well, we know that there's going to be people saved during the tribulation. Revelation 7, 9 discusses those martyred in it, a multitude no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. So what Paul is doing is he's giving two main indicators of the world being under judgment. First of all, that the falling away will have happened. Christianity will have had some power, but that will be dissipated by people leaving God for this world. That's certainly underway, so we know we're close. Now, we also know who Antichrist is by a couple of factors, though. One is by signing a treaty with many nations. Daniel 9.27 says this happens, that he concludes a covenant or treaty with many nations for one week, which would be seven years. So this could be at the very outset of the tribulation. And then also the very famous one, people taking his mark, which is Revelation 13, 16 to 17. You'll have to do that to buy, sell, worship, stay alive. If you won't take it, you're going to be hunted by Antichrist. And the false prophet, actually, ironically, will do most of the enforcement. Talk about a false prophet killing people who won't take a mark. That's definitely not Jesus. 
So moving spirit, the Holy Spirit out of the way so Antichrist is identified certainly is going to come about in part by the rapture of the church. But that's not saying that Antichrist's exalting himself in the temple as God is the only time that that is going to happen. The rest of 2 Thessalonians 2 talks about Antichrist's rise and his deception of many. So the rapture may well be at the beginning of the tribulation. Further proof for a pre-tribulation rapture comes in Revelation 3, 8 to 10. Remember the letters to the seven churches? Jesus says to the faithful church at Philadelphia, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. And to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. So here Christ congratulates the Philadelphian church, literally brotherly love, is what Philadelphia means, on its steadfastness in the face of these lying Jews. This was a pattern. For example, Paul would go in and he would preach usually in the synagogue first. He's Jewish. People knew him because he was very intelligent. He was very powerful before he converted to Christianity. They would hear him for a while, but then they would start to come after him. They'd interrupt him. They'd chase him out of town. In fact, they had a pot to kill him in one place. What wonderful people of God those are, huh? But this says there'll be a definite separation between the two. And this seems to come in that hour of trial that overcomes the whole world. This is the key for people who don't believe in a rapture. Okay, then what is the hour of trial that comes upon the whole world? There is no explanation for this. The Greek words for keep here, keep you from the hour of trial, are teresoic, which means to literally withhold, to detain from. So the Lord takes the faithful from the tribulation and leaves behind those who are not his, including those who have a form of godliness but deny the power, who are unfortunately on the rise in our churches as a share of them. In this time, the word for trial, too, is pyrosmos, meaning an experiment or testing, temptation or difficulty. So the sense of that is, in the original language, this is a time that will prove out what is in the people who dwell upon the earth. Is it good or is it evil? When you're under pressure, you find out who you really are, what you're really going to do. And people find out that about you, right? How many people have you known who you thought were you good, decent people? strong Christians, and all of a sudden, they have turned away from what the Lord has said to do. They've caused division and strife and hatred and all the rest of it. Well, you see, they're being shown to be false apostles. And what God is doing, uh, in my experience, is he is making it very obvious who's with him and who is not with him. And it's a way of very easily having discernment of spirits, which is a gift mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, to know of what spirit someone is. You know, just by looking at someone, 97% of the time, you have no idea whether they're saved or not. When you get around them, though, then God's going to begin to reveal things, isn't he? So in this time, secular ethics are not going to be standing up very well to half of the people of the earth dying in the first half of the tribulation. Not the second half of Antichrist, the first half, half the population of the earth, 4 billion people. Then there's going to be widespread hunger, lack, Crime, wars, disease, 
They're going to falter under a dictator who kills anyone who won't worship him, not alone vote for him, but worship him, and controls whether people can even eat or drink. Think about how awful that will be. Another major way we know there'll be a pre-tribulation rapture is the New Testament emphasizes over and over again that no one knows the exact timing. Nobody knows that hour or day Jesus Christ himself said. He said, even the angels in heaven don't know. The Father himself alone knows. And that's Matthew 24, 36, right after the signs of his coming. Our Lord does say we will know the season. That's why we're to be watchful. And look for those signs that he gave in the Olivet Discourse we see being fulfilled. He adds also, he's going to come to his house, which is what? The church. And he's going to take his own who are faithful, not the false ones, and a day they do not know. This is Matthew 24, 40 to 42. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. And we better check how we're doing too. In verses 48 to 51, Christ warns some of the church are going to be left behind. If that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour that he is not aware of, and will cut him in two, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And you know what that is? That's hell. That's what that is. And I suppose there could be some regret of being left behind. That could be some of that. But ultimately, of course, those people will be in hell if they don't repent. My experience has been People who fall away from a, a raising or a time of devotion to God in the church are some of the hardest people to win. Uh, they have had a taste, you might say in Hebrews 6, 1 to 4, a taste of the heavenly gift, you know, the Holy Spirit of God. They've heard uh, the word of the Bible, uh, maybe seen some of the goodness of God, but yet they've turned away from it. And it's very hard, as Proverbs says, to get a brother offended to leave his strong tower of offense to come back to Christ. Now, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 9, which is right after that first passage we looked at on the tribulation, the main one, 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 5 fits the exact pattern of no, not knowing that hour or day. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Paul says the time of judgment will come as a thief in the night for the worldly. And believers who are watchful will be ready for it at the same time. But you see, if the rapture were at the midpoint of the tribulation or at the end, at a certain point, they would, people would be able to calculate the day 
when Christ should return, or at least have a very small and short window for it. The first three and a half years will be 1260 days. The Hebrew year was 360, but they realized they made a mistake. So what they would do is every seven years, they would add a month instead of doing a leap year like we do. So three and a half times 360 is 1260 days. The second half is 1290 to 1335 days. And this is from a little cited passage in Daniel 12, 11, and 12. From the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, that's Antichrist showing himself he is God in the temple of God, right? So there shall be 1290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1335 days. So you've got a little bit of a window of opportunity there. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says, God did not appoint us to wrath as in tribulation. Yet if we go into Revelation 6, 17, this is the very chapter I was teaching on last week. This is close to the end of the first round of judgment. The four horsemen of the apocalypse have ridden and all the rest of this. It says, as the last verse of that chapter, the great day of God's wrath has come. And who is able to stand? The same Greek word for wrath there is used in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath in talking about the tribulation. That's a pretty conclusive one right there. Because God is pouring out his wrath, but he's not going to pour it out on the church, it says. Right? So we're not going to be there. <laughs> Praise God if we're really worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 54 is a great way to look at the conclusion of this about the tribulation. Paul says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. It will be a moment, any second. <laughs> so seven takeaways today. Number one, the signs that Jesus gave of the season of his return are being fulfilled. The signs that Jesus gave of his return are being fulfilled. This means the rapture could be at any second. And by the way, the twinkling of an eye, as it's put in some of the Bible versions, somebody calculated that, that it's like one twentieth of a second. I mean, just we're going to be going in a moment in time. We don't have to take anything with you. So uh, the Lord will be bringing us right up in just that moment. Number two is 1 Thessalonians 4 says, Born-again Christians will be raised from their grave and those alive snatched away physically to meet Jesus and remain with him forever. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, Born-again Christians will be raised from their graves and those alive snatched away physically to meet Jesus and remain with him forever. And we have precedent in scripture in that in several cases, Enoch, Elijah, Philip, and Paul. Number three is the timing of the rapture is before the tribulation, by best we can see. Indeed, it very well may kick it off. Can you imagine the panic when a tenth of the earth, maybe even a fifth of the earth, disappears in a moment in time, or seen flying up there towards Jesus and then disappears? That's going to be an earth-shaking occurrence, is it not? The timing of the rapture is before the tribulation. Jesus says the faithful church is spared the hour of trial to come upon the whole world. Paul says we're not appointed to wrath, but the very first round of judgment 
in the tribulation refers to the happenings as wrath. We can't know the hour or the day of the rapture, but if it doesn't start the tribulation, it could be calculated. Number four, those holding to a post-tribulation rapture have tough questions to answer. Those holding to a post-tribulation rapture have tough questions to answer. They have to figure out what Jesus is sparing the faithful church from in Revelation 3. How two billion people dying is not God's wrath when it's referred to as God's wrath. How being able to calculate the rapture's date fits with the overwhelming trend in scripture of not date setting. And what comfort we get from having to go through the tribulation even though we're saved. They also have difficulty with all of the believers charging down from heaven on steeds following Christ and going to the battle of Armageddon. At the very same time, they're only supposed to be called first from the grave. <laughs> Going to be an interesting time. Number five, the mid-tribulation rapture also has some faulty reasoning. The mid-tribulation rapture also has some faulty reasoning. The date of rapture and the Christ's second coming uh, could be calculated, and we would undergo a major measure of God's wrath as believers. The passages referring to Antichrist coming do not necessarily have to have the church leading at that same time. So there's not much comfort either from this mid-tribulation rapture. Number six is the timing of the rapture is not an essential Christian belief. So we should not part company with another believer over it, unless perhaps they won't let it go <laughs> constantly. I'm seeing a lot of beating up on the pre-tribulation rapture people from folks who are post-tribulation, not necessarily mid-tribulation rapture, but the post-tribulation people. Many of the post-tribulation people, however, are reformed. There are conservative mainline folks like Presbyterian or Episcopal and such, and they really don't believe in the literal nature of the book of Revelation, almost anything in it. And so you have to take everything with that with a grain of salt. But we have to remember the timing of the rapture isn't an essential for us to be able to cooperate with someone. As you just heard, the scriptural case is really complex, and you have to try to search it out. Most important is Jesus will come for us. He is not going to leave us orphans. He's come to us with the Holy Spirit. He will eventually take us out of this earth. Live every day as though the rapture could happen any time. Live every day as though the rapture could happen any time. We have probably six billion or more people on the earth right now who are headed to hell. The Lord says that there is only one name by which we may be saved, and that is Jesus Christ. And we only have a little over two billion who even name the name of Jesus Christ. So that tells us that we've got a big group who are going to be forever in a place with no hope. And frankly, that's what Jesus taught in uh, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Wide is the path that goes to destruction. Narrow is the one that leads to life, right? There's a lot of folks on a big highway going to hell. <laughs> And there's a few folks on that highway to heaven, but it's going to be a lot better when we get to our destination. That's for sure. You know, take the various cards we have on the back of our contact card. We have how to be saved. People have been led to Christ and saved even at 90 years old using this. We also have tracks. We have the Gospel of Mark. Everything's free. Take as many as you want. We've got plenty of them. And if someone wants to write in to us, uh, either it be email, khuckins, K-H-E-C-K-I-N-S, at eternitynow.com, or uh, just go to our website and reply through the various measures there. We'll be happy to mail those to folks who are watching online as well. And we have got to get past the fear of offending people 
and invite them here into church to hear the truth and become part of the truth. Tell them the way of salvation if they're ready, we're confident. Help them to be spared the seven years of hell on earth and then hell forever when there's no hope. The door is locked from the outside and the key is in Christ's hand and he is the judge ultimately. Uh, folks are going to be a lot more offended by being in hell forever than they are us bringing it up to them. We do it with gentleness. We do it with respect. If people are not interested, we stop. And we just you know, change the subject. We go on to something else. How are those Broncos going? How, how, is, uh, the, uh, the, uh, Cub, how are the Cubs doing and all that? Probably not well, again, after having won the World Series, kind of a sure sign of the apocalypse there a few years ago. But we really have to be sure that we're also saved. There are just four essentials to salvation. It's not complex, really. The first is we have to repent or turn from sin and confess this to God, ask him for forgiveness. Uh, every one of us sins, and we still have to after we're saved, but we really need to consciously and purposely turn to Christ and ask him to come into our lives and forgive us. Also, we confess faith in Christ. He is the only one who has lived sinlessly on the earth, and that's because his nature was conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's not his physical nature. It was his spiritual nature which controls the physical. What made the earth? God, who is spirit, right? So the spiritual controls the physical, but most of the world is convinced to the other way around, aren't they? <laughs> and that's why they're in darkness. But confess faith in Christ. We also believe that he rose in body as well as spirit on the third day in the tomb. If he doesn't rise again, then we don't have a resurrection either. <laughs> and then we follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. And there's so much confusion on this. We've kind of gotten down to the point in America where just knowing about Jesus kind of counts to being saved even in some evangelical churches. That's not at all true. Christ himself says, the demons believe and tremble. And Jesus, they're not saved. They know he's real. He's been tossing them out of people for thousands of years. But no, you have to be committed to Christ and following him. Do you have to follow perfectly? Do you have to worry when you commit a sin? No, you don't. Because the great apostle John, who probably knew him as well as any apostle, maybe anybody on the earth, aside from his own mother, said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you had to keep track of every sin, wouldn't that be a horrible time? Oh, I wonder if I'm going to sin today, and then I better figure out how I confess it. Luther almost drove himself crazy trying to confess every single sin. He drove his father, confessor man, and probably everybody else. And finally, he hits on it for moments. The just shall live by faith. Oh, faith that, that Jesus lived and died. His death counts for mine as I... Believe in him and follow him and declare him. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So I want to lead you in a prayer. If you haven't accepted the Lord, maybe you've been away from him a while. And you want to get plugged in to the Holy Spirit, the power source. And if you believe what I'm saying, if, as you're praying, that's going to count to be able to be a commitment of yours to him, uh, to be born again, keep following him, and you'll go to heaven. Well, Father God, I repent of my sin. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. I confess Jesus Christ. Confess Jesus Christ has died for my sins. Has died for my sins. I believe He rose. I believe He rose in body and spirit. In body and spirit. The third day of the tomb. The third day of the tomb. And I will follow Him. And I will follow Him. As Lord and Savior, as Lord and Savior, 
Repenting should I fall. Repenting should I fall. Commit to my heart. Commit to my heart. Lord God. Lord God. And save me. And save me. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So be it. That little word is a good four-letter word. I mean, is actually, I say but so be it is what that means. And briefly, just the steps of discipleship, once you're saved, get baptized in water, be immersed. That's how they did it in those days. The amount of water isn't so big a deal as you do it on the right side of the cross after you believe, because that is a public profession of faith. Then we have reading the Bible, reading the word of God. The words are spirit and they are life. Jesus said in John 6, 63, you, no one can discern what is God and what is the world, what is the devil, by knowing the Bible. You also can know what to pray for. If you're having a hard time keeping your temper, well, it's stirring up wrath with people is a work of the flesh. Ask God for help. You can call on him and say, Lord, help me to keep my temper. Help me to keep my mind stayed on you in perfect peace. Jesus said, amen. But you only know that, what scripture to pray and what kind of promises you can have by reading the word. Also come to church. You're doing well. Be with the people of God. We can lift each other up as we will in a minute. We can hear teaching and preaching. Uh, we can have fellowship with each other. It's an important time. Spend time also with other believers outside of church time, like Hazen and I have. We get to know each other. We become that fighting force. We become actual friends. Uh, we help each other. You know, the early church helped each other in all kinds of ways, clothes and places to stay and all the rest of that, you know, because the world was against them. And I'll tell you, the world was turning as strongly against the church now as it was then. And then pursuing personal relationship with God. God knows you individually. He knows everything about you. And yet he purposed that you would come into this world, even knowing that you would sin and difficulties and trials and troubles. Get to know him as well as he knows you. We at Eternity Now appreciate your listening to this program. For more, including links to all our broadcasts and social media, go to www.eternitynow.com. E-T-E-R-N-I-T-Y-N-O-W dot C-O-M. We have over a hundred videos on YouTube, and you can watch our services live there as well as Facebook, Twitter, and more. On our website, you also can email me, Pastor Kyle Huckins, and I'll respond personally. I welcome your prayer requests, questions, and comments. Again, that's EternityNow.com. May God bless you and keep you, cause His face to shine upon you, and give you peace. I'm